0: you all so much for receiving me today. I've looked forward to sharing with you. I drove this morning from Smith Mountain Lake where I've been spending the weekend with my friends from high school, the Nerd Herd and Caitlin Heatwell, a daughter of this congregation who has joined the Nerd Herd through her husband Nathan. Uh, it was wonderful visiting with them and Caitlin sends her greetings. Also was at uh, her parents' new place up in Bridgewater earlier this week. So it's been nice seeing a few folks from your congregation already. My wife, Sophie, and I lived this last year in Nazareth, the largest Arab city in Israel, where we volunteered in several ways for an organization called the Nazareth Trust through Mennonite Mission Network. We both felt drawn there through past connections. Sophie was born and lived six years there while her parents served with Mission Network and then with Mennonite Central Committee for seven years. Andrews and my great-aunts, Ada and Ida Stoltzfuss from Conestoga, Pennsylvania, also served in Israel-Palestine for 37 and a half years, running an orphanage and school in Hebron. As Sophie completed seminary last year, we knew we wanted to live overseas long-term. We were unsure where we felt drawn to go. Conversations with Bob and Nancy Martin, Mission Network alumni of two decades from the hospital and nursing school there, guided us toward Nazareth, where we had a wonderful year. We've returned to the U.S. in time for this Pentecost season, or the, the Pentecost season, which I suppose has passed. In Acts 2, we read that at Pentecost, a crowd exclaimed, utterly amazed, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? This exclamation is by now familiar to Sophie and I. The Nazareth Village, a partner where we volunteered, employed a strange choice of words on its website, which claimed until recently that our local or our experienced local guides will lead you. Sophie and I, when we volunteered at the village, were often greeted with amusement by mainly Israeli Jewish tour leaders. Upon handing their group to me, leaders would often joke, So David will be our local guide today? No, I would have to say I'm not Galilean, but at least I can confirm when occasionally pressed that, yes, my name is actually David. At the Nazareth village, we get the sense that the story of Pentecost that we heard this morning is continuing. In a year, the Nazareth village gives tours in 22 languages. It is a blend of history, archaeological excavations from Jesus's time in Nazareth, architectural replicas, buildings that are similar to how buildings were, Scripture and commentary on present day Nazareth and its people. We present this on a guided tour. Sophie and I led almost 12,000 guests in English and Spanish on tours of the village this year. We loved the theological aspects of the tour, but made additions from our Anabaptist perspective as well. While a modest majority of the guests are from the global north, uh, from the U.S., Scandinavia, the Netherlands, many different countries. Many guests are also Indian, Brazilian, Guatemalan. Our groups come from many churches, from Baptists to Holdem and Mennonites from Ireland that we met, to non-denominational churches, to the 1,900-year-old Syriac Church of India. 2,000 years ago, Jewish reformers speaking many tongues left Nazareth. Today, a stream of people speaking many tongues comes back. In addition to the village, Sophie, who studied pastoral care at AMBS, coordinated chapels and Bible studies for the international volunteer community. We were privileged to see God at work, and we wanted to tell, or I want to tell you about uh, the, how the many people we interacted with spoke to us not only with words, but with languages of faith. These people helped us to see new ways of encountering God, sensing the Spirit, and following Jesus. Testimony, pilgrimage, reverent speech, patient persistence, liturgy and literalism were some languages of faith that we heard and that we hope you can find ways to notice in the future as we hope to. We begin with testimony. We were honored this year to hear many talk about their lives of faith and how they've encountered Jesus. A major theme at the hospital where we were volunteering was forgiveness, Sophie particularly appreciated hearing comments from the Nazareth Trust spiritual director on what forgiveness can mean in the Arab context, particularly relating to issues of land and peoplehood, but also religion. One striking example of testimony that we got to experience came from one of Sophie's fellow volunteers, a chaplain, Simone, from the nearby village of Rainy. The week before we arrived, Simone's young cousin Jonathan was brutally stabbed near his home, and he died in the Nazareth hospital. Jonathan was the only child of parents who had waited many years for him to come. After his death, they quickly became known, to the surprise of many in the area, for their choice to forgive his murderers. We heard this story the first week we arrived in Nazareth and many times since, and it struck us how this provides Simone with a chance to model Christian discipleship. In that cultural context, retributive justice, clan wars, are common. This is the norm, and so Simone is regularly asked by patients how this type of forgiveness can be possible. This question provides him opportunities to talk about forgiveness and how it is embodied in the Gospels. Of course, parts of the story may sound familiar to those in our community who know of M.J. Sharp's murder in 2017 or the forgiveness of Amish parents whose children were killed at the Nickel Mine School in 2006. Not only do these and Jonathan's parents' stories serve as testimony to the human capacity to forgive evils. More importantly, they serve as a testimony to the redeeming work of God in the world. Travel to the Holy Land offers many a chance to reflect on what God has done and is doing in a new place and consider how that might inform their own lives. This is pilgrimage, and we saw it there often. Travel to deepen one's faith Tends to be far from modern western minds. Many of those of us who can travel often for work, to visit family, for vacation. Going to deepen our faith is much less usual. We had the privilege in Nazareth of seeing many people from all over the world and seeing their excitement as they encountered this part of the world where their faith had begun. For people from Christian and, of course, Muslim and Jewish backgrounds, a visit to the Holy Land can be a period of prayer, intense and continuous learning and reflection. It's amazing to see people prostrated on and kissing a stone in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or hear dozens of pilgrims singing as they walk up the Via Dolorosa, the route of Jesus' passion. Entering the West Bank during Ramadan, I was crushed for about two and a half hours in a crowd of Palestinian worshippers who were returning from prayer at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the main Muslim holy site. Return entry to Bethlehem was an ordeal, with a huge crowd of people squeezing together and shoving each other to force their way through one or two one-person revolving turnstiles. The chance to pray at their mosque was worth a lot to them. It was not uncommon to see people experiencing a kind of pilgrim euphoria at the Nazareth village, too. Many of our visitors prayed, spoke, and worshipped in a different way than they did at home. Seeing excavated terraces where Jesus surely walked, seeing a wine press where he probably treaded grapes, people are moved emotionally and spiritually. The sincerity of reverent speech in Nazareth also impressed and formed us. In the U.S. context, it's normal to hear people say things like, oh my God, or oh Lord, as part of our daily language. In this cultural setting, such language is rarely used to literally remind us of God, and it's often negative. In Nazareth, people would use these same phrases, but to intentionally evoke thoughts of God. When asking a Muslim how they are, one might get the response, Alhamdulillah, which means praise be to God. A Christian might respond, Nushkur Allah, thanks be to God. In the Arab setting, these phrases are used and understood as a reference to the person's well-being coming from God and God's love. When you want to say that you hope something will come true or that things will go well, both Christians and Muslims say, inshallah, God willing. Again, these phrases are literal faith language used many times a day with the effect of keeping the speaker and the spoken to grounded in their human experience as one's worshiping the one who is all in all. Reverence is also evident in public communal celebrations. Israeli society is secular, primarily in the Jewish sphere, but increasingly in the the Christian and Muslim Arab spheres as well. But this has not stopped either faith from continuing to celebrate their most sacred yearly events. It was interesting and exciting for us to join in the Christmas and Holy Week Easter celebrations in Nazareth, which are really seasons because there are three different church calendars, and they're all very uh, eager to make sure they get their celebration. We were especially struck by how often huge crowds of believers gather in public spaces and main roads to celebrate together on these occasions. We became more aware of what it means to have grown up in a country where church and state are mostly separated. Even singing Christmas carols in the three Nazareth hospitals wasn't something that required special permission, and while the hospitals are Christian, Muslim patients also joined us in song. Like the daily Muslim calls to prayer, these sorts of open proclamations of faith were not uncomfortable, even for those who have different beliefs. If we take faith in God seriously, we have something to learn from people who integrate this belief into daily life and practice. Over the last several years in Goshen, Sophie and I enjoyed visits with Evelyn, Eleanor, and Alan Kreider, stalwarts of the Goshen Mennonite community. I appreciated Alan Kreider's book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, which presents an inspiring perspective on how the church took root and grew, despite a lack of power or a cultural foundation throughout the Roman Empire. Alan emphasizes patience and the willingness to endure decades of stagnation and even persecution for the sake of the gospel. The patience and persistence of Palestinians is extraordinary. Existence is resistance, read signs in Bethlehem and Hebron. Seventy years into the occupation, Palestinian prospects are bleaker than ever. International support for the occupation is strong. Both nonviolent Palestinian resistance and the occupation's critics in the West are cynically dismissed in the media as motivated primarily by anti-Semitism. Most of the Arab world now actively works with Netanyahu, Israel's right-wing prime minister, cementing Israel's position with regional allies. In this context, hope seems irrational, and work for justice may well not bear fruit in our lifetimes. Yet so many Palestinians that we met showed the spirit of patient ferment. We think of the only Gazan that we knew, a Christian who we met at a bus stop in Nazareth who works at a Baptist hospital in Gaza. In better times, he met and married a woman from Nazareth. Now he is only allowed in to see her and their two daughters for one or two months annually. We think of Lap family friends from Bethlehem with a Palestinian father and an American mother. The mother was never allowed in over two decades in Bethlehem to have long-term residency in Palestine. She was expelled at short notice, at no notice last fall. Only after enormous effort and expenditure of $20,000 to the Israeli Interior Ministry and international diplomatic intervention was she allowed to temporarily return two days before her son's wedding in Bethlehem in May. We think of taxi drivers and shopkeepers who eagerly showed us hospitality and told us their family stories, hoping they could get more Americans to listen. The way people continue to show faith and to act out of love seems to us to be a sign of God at work. Liturgical experiences were something we looked forward to when we moved to Nazareth, especially having both grown up in Mennonite churches. While most of the other volunteers attended a local evangelical Baptist church, we wanted something very different from home, and we attended a local Maronite Catholic church. The Maronite church is an Eastern Rite Catholic church, began around 400 CE with St. Maron, and only became Catholic actually in the 1600s. This means the church has retained many of their earlier, more orthodox rites and traditions. Although we attended there regularly, we also enjoyed visits to the Greek Orthodox Church across town, which provided a completely different experience of liturgical worship and tradition within the same Arab society and culture. Another form or a form of liturgical language that we valued was religious art was iconography, Liturgical churches are historically those most prone to having religious art in their sanctuaries, in worship, and as a part of home life. In Nazareth, these churches included the Greek Orthodox, variations of the Roman Catholic Church, the Melkites and Maronites, Like the Maronites, the Melkite church retains iconography that the Catholics dropped early on in these and in other major churches in Nazareth and elsewhere around the country. We got to see how art is used and taken very seriously as a part of what it means to proclaim the Christian message in the Holy Land with or without words. People in Nazareth read the Bible more literally than most of our Western peers, and we valued the chance to encounter their literalism. Coming from an intellectual Christian community, it refreshed us to see people engage biblical stories as recountings of real events. This does not mean that we or most of the people around us believe that everything in the Bible happened literally as described. But among our Christians and brothers, uh, Christian sisters and brothers there, we sensed a deep belief that the Gospels are telling a true and accurate account. And this was refreshing. I think that without this communal belief in the truth of the Gospels, Christian faith is unlikely to be passed on. This feeling of the reality of the Bible was not limited to Christians either. Various biblical stories are taught through the public education system, faith-based institutions and heard in the local community as oral traditions. Sophia speculated that it may be easier to believe some of these stories when you live in the place where they happened. Residents of Nazareth several times took us to their roofs to point out villages where events in Jesus's life had taken place or to tell us about which cliff in Nazareth they thought perhaps the community had taken Jesus to to throw him off in Luke 4. Our supervisor, Christine Farah, especially spoke this faith language. Christine, British, was educated as a human rights lawyer in Wales where she met her Nazarene husband. She entirely shares our perspective on Israel-Palestine and on British and American politics. She was also a devout Christian. She emphatically asks visiting groups to pray for Nazareth. She prayed with us through some of the more difficult times with my dad having acute myeloid leukemia back home this year. Like many in Nazareth, Christine talks about Jesus's life growing up there, not as a possibility or a story, but as an event. And like Jesus himself, Christine talks about the devil as a reality, not a concept, but a real being set against God. She lives in a world of imminent Christian faith. Sophie and I are looking forward very much to what comes next. During our time in Israel-Palestine, we felt deeply affirmed in our calls to overseas ministry. We are aware that we want to keep working at intersections with the Middle East. At this time, it is not possible, as Christians probably, to secure visas for long-term service in Israel-Palestine. Visas only last one year, and we could not know until a few weeks beforehand whether the next year's visa came through. And unfortunately, we heard few stories about visa successes. We would very much like to return to Nazareth for both short-term visits and possibly for another year of long-term service in the future. But for now, we will instead transfer uh, to uh, begin a new term of service with Mennonite Mission Network and with a local congregation in a small village in southwest Germany. I will work with the German Mennonite Peace Committee, a counterpart to Christian peacemaker teams, and Sophie will be working in a pastoral role with the local Mennonite congregation. We look forward to this opportunity and are excited to continue exploring interactions with Middle Easterners living as refugees and citizens in the nearby area there. As we continue to share about our work in Nazareth and look forward to this new assignment, we are so grateful for the many people and institutions that build the world of Mennonite mission and service. Thank you for all the ways your congregation supports Mennonite service and witness. Uh, Many of them were evident right in the church service and in your hall this morning. Such support makes it possible for people to work alongside um, partners overseas and to further the work of the kingdom of God in these many languages with which the Spirit gifts us. Thank you so much and all the best to you.